Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. On occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. You will find that people will get to a stage where it's like, why do we, why do I bother putting myself through this? I love the county, I love the sport, I love challenging myself and coaching and managing and playing if I'm a player. But why would I, why would I want to put myself and my, I think it's a family that are impacted even more so. The platform there that people will see that's acceptable to go after whatever way they want and a lot of them don't have even names or identities on these accounts and it's poorly regulated in that aspect and they'll just keep doing it and it'll get worse and it'll get worse and get worse. Hello and welcome to this week's Throw-In with Dublin legend Philly McMahon. I'm Sinead Kassan and I'm also joined by the Irish Independence Conor McKeown. Now in this week's episode we talk about the fallout from the resignation of Andy McEntee as Meath Manager. We reviewed the end of Tyrone's All-Ireland defence and the vulnerabilities Mayo have that Kildare might be able to target in the second round of the All-Ireland football qualifiers this weekend. Now, first though, we start with the resignation of Meath manager Andy McEntee. Now, just before we recorded this podcast, the Meath County Board released a statement saying that it wants to put on record its disgust at the personal abuse aimed at their members in recent times. The statement said that this has become a regular occurrence that persons representing Meath GA are being abused. Philly, the thing here is that there's almost nothing surprising about this with the way social media is. And that's that's the really sad thing here as well. Yeah, it's it's extremely disappointing, isn't it? Like, you know, um, for all the years of the narrative around maybe players talking about professionalism and people saying, oh, well, you're an amateur, so you do it for the love of the game and stuff like that. And then all of this happens and you kind of, you can't have it every way. And it's it's starting to creep in, definitely. We're seeing a lot of it and maybe social media has an impact on that. But I, I do think um, you will find that People will get to a stage where it's like, why do we, why do I bother putting myself through this? I love the county, I love the sport, I love challenging myself and coaching and managing and playing if I'm a player. But why would I, why would I want to put myself and my? I think it's a family that are impacted even more so. And in this case, obviously the McEntees, um, who are represented heavily in in the county of Mead, not only from a point of view of Gaelic football, but politically as well, like you know, so. Um, I just don't. I just don't get it. I just don't think why people. Uh, well, I suppose they they they've seen it somewhere in social media that it's acceptable to do it, and and they can do it then, and it, it just snowballs from there. Yeah, I mean, Andy's daughter came out and condemned the social media abuse uh, earlier this week. His son Shane tweeted yesterday about the online abuse and letters to the house. Connor, this is something that Eamon Fitzmaurice uh, spoke about before. And Philly's right, though. I mean, this could become a deterrent. Why would somebody want to get into management if they're going to receive this kind of uh, abuse? Yeah, you definitely need a hard neck. The, like, the only thing about it is I think 
when we get new cases of this, we all sort of think that it's a very current situation. But like Paul O'Shea was punched in the face by a Kerry fan in 2003 after they lost that game to to Tyrone, you know, like on the pitch in Crow Park. Mm -hmm. So people do lose themselves a lot in their inter-county team in particular. Um, I think they feel a level of ownership over it. And when things aren't do done the way that they want, um, the expression of that frustration goes beyond the realms of what anybody I think would consider to be natural or normal or acceptable. You see it all the time, you know, like like even in Dublin before Dublin won the alert, 2004 when Tommy Lyons was coming off the pitch after Dublin were beaten by Westmead in that game and the abuse that was raining down on top of his head. So it is a very, very strange thing. I think it's probably no different to what it is in soccer, but the, you know, or to, yeah, Premier League soccer uh, being an, an obvious example. But the big difference is the practitioners, the people who are on the end of the abuse in this sort of situation are much more, I suppose, reachable. They're tangible people who exist in their communities um, and they don't have those extra layers of protection against that kind of um, abuse that goes around because, you know, it, it's regardless of how 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 thick a neck how thick a skin you think you have it's, it's impossible that it doesn't get through to you like i just know like from being at somebody who writes about gaa and somebody slag off something you wrote and like it's a very very minor thing you know but people getting at you online for no reason whatsoever and that's at the very end of the scale it's hard not it's hard to block it out it really is like it sticks in your psyche a small bit and it's it, you know when you're a GA manager, it's just very hard to distance yourself from that sort of stuff and keep it at arm's length. Um, and this is just the, the latest example of it because, um, you know, for a county like me going forward now, what they, they first need to do is properly unite behind a manager to kind of get the thing moving forward. And, you know, a situation where people are already um, sending letters of abuse to the outgoing manager, it's like, it's, it's not a good situation. It's not going to get better before it gets worse. Philly, you've spoken before about the social media abuse that you got. How did it affect you? I suppose it only affected me um, when I retired because um, when I was playing, I was able to block it out. Um, and, you know, you're in this bubble and you just don't really, you're not really on. So it's Twitter that's the, probably the big instigator, I suppose. And it's, it's, uh, you don't really see it as much on Instagram or Facebook. It's more Twitter, and it's just a, it's just a platform of negativity. Like there is obviously positive stuff on Twitter, but in terms of sport, um, when something goes wrong, the opposition or sorry, you've done something to, you know, give energy to the opposition, they'll let you know. Like, um, but the the issue, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, last year in the All Ireland semi final, I came on a couple of minutes to go and. Uh, Rob Henley had a, a 45 and I kind of jogged by him and then I said something to the ref around um, I don't know, I can't really remember it was but I, I jogged completely off and it was a couple of seconds later after that mm -hmm. I was in on the square and Henley kicked the ball and Kevin McStay was the uh, was on punchy that day and he spoke about me being at fault for the ball, the 45 being retaken. When it wasn't, there was a man behind. The Mayo player didn't, uh, when they made the substitution, one of the Mayo players was still on the pitch. And Kevin McStay said, uh, that was down to Philly McMahon, in his own words, uh, why that ball is being retaken. And I got absolutely hammered from everybody. Like, I got hammered from 
Dublin fans, I got hammered from fans outside of it. Ah, oh, typical Philly up to us all, all this stuff. And my mum wouldn't really like, uh, she'd latch on to that. And she was kind of, she rang me that day and she said, it's not your fault. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, ah, uh, people were saying it was your fault because you, it was another, you gave the free away the second time. She didn't understand the 45 or free. I said, what do you mean? I, I, I wasn't on the goal line. And she said, oh, someone said that the, the man on the, the that was commentating said it, it was your fault. I was like, it wasn't mine. But that's how easy it can just spin fairly fast. Like, And I can't get on social media after an all around semi-final and say, that wasn't my fault because it didn't really matter to me. I, I, all that mattered was we got beaten and I was pissed off at that. But that's how quickly it can snowball. And when, you, when one young person sees someone slating me for that, they go, oh, it's acceptable. I'm going to do it now. And some of the stuff is really, and, and me and Connor have spoke about it in a column before and stuff like that. And, but it's, it's, there's a platform there that people will see that's acceptable to go after whatever way they want. And a lot of them don't have even names or identities on these accounts and it's poorly regulated in that aspect. And they'll just keep doing it and it'll get worse and it'll get worse and get worse. So what is the, and Connor mentioned there about the ownership, like of fans, like how did that play out for you, Philly, as a player? And like, and in terms as well of overstepping the mark? It's very hard to control. You can't, you, like, you can't really get on and say to your fans, like, I think Rangers tried to do it this year in the, champ, in, the uh, in, in Europe, where they were getting ex-pros, uh, Rangers players to go on and say, basically behave yourselves. And the Rangers fans went mad because of it, because they were kind of like, you're saying we're bad here. Which they, they kind of had a, a reputation of being bad when when they when they were in Europe and wherever else, so it's very hard to control. You can't see somebody coming on like even Kelty Bard coming on and and you know putting a statement on Twitter saying it's not acceptable. That might impact. That might impact the people that are not kind of in in that area of abusing people, and they might they might generate a a response from from that kind of majority saying that, that it's not acceptable but I just think it's a yeah you nearly magnify it when you when you talk about it you know uh, as a county board you nearly magnify it even further I do I think it's going to bring a lot more negative energy to the county board I've made um, and it's going to be harder to recruit a manager because of that uh, why would you want to go in there knowing that this manager that was previous there had a good bit of time to develop and, and uh, hopefully take that group to a, another level and struggle to do that. But then all on top of that, then if you don't do that, you get you get hammered for it. Um, that's going to be very hard to change. It's going to be very hard to change that culturally, like you know. So uh, it's a worrying thing. I don't have the answer to be honest, Sinead. I don't have the answer of how do you stop that? How do you change it? It's something that's coming into the sport more and more. And I think it's probably something that Twitter has to look at. Maybe it's the GA come up with the, being the first uh, sporting organisation to have some sort of partnership with Twitter to basically say, look, we need to regulate something around sport and sports people or inter-county players. I don't know. I think that's the only way you can kind of put a plaster over a broken leg, I suppose. Yeah, Connors, there's something here as well about the relationship between Mead and its fan base. I mean, we know the proud history that Mead football has, but do the supporters here, are they just expecting too much from the team? Well, you always get the sense with Mead that, um, that a lot of supporters' perception of their own county 
um, has more to do with what happened sort of 30 years ago than it has done with anything that's happened in the past 20. So, um, you know, I think when people think of me football, naturally they think of Sean Boylan and they think of Colin Rourke and Trevor Giles and Graham Gerty. Um, but that isn't the case anymore. Uh, um, and, you know, like me, the last five or six years have started to sort of turn the wheel a lot at underage level. Um, and I know that there's a lot expected in the next five years of a couple of very good and promising young underage teams. But as I think we talk about nearly once a week on this, you need the environment that when these players get up to the senior level that they're actually going to be able to fulfill that potential because otherwise they just become another, you know, what happened to your man? Do you remember he, he was very good at minor level? You know, that's the difference. It's not a case that these fellas don't have it when they make the step up. It's a case a lot of the time that the environment isn't right. And I got the feeling a lot with me the last few years that there was a lot of, um, you know, players being thrown in at the front line at a very young age and then it not quite working and then being relegated back to the bench, but then being brought back in. And it never, you know, like Mead had a moment in, in 2019, they got to the Super 8s. Um, they were the only le- team that had lost the Leinster final in the last 10 years who actually won their subsequent ch- qualifier game. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be clear by a point in Port Leash. And they got to the Super 8s and they lost those three games in the Super 8s. But in all of those games, they were very competitive up until the last 10 minutes. Um, and that was the moment. And they'd been promoted to Division 1 earlier that year. And that year, Donald Kyogen was playing football that was as good as nearly any player in Ireland. And Brian Menton was really strong in midfield. Shane Walsh, who was just out of leaving cert, they looked like they were going to build their forward line around him because he's big and strong and a lovely striker with the ball. And that was the moment you kind of thought that maybe we're going to push on. Um, and the following year, they lost their first five games in Division One before the lockdown. Um, and by the time the lockdown finished up, they ended up getting relegated. But the, the lockdown was nearly the kind of beginning and end for that team. It just seemed like they never really kind of got a grasp. For after that, it was hard to get a grasp on exactly where Mead were. Um, and McEntee went through a huge number of players. Like he tried literally mm-hmm. everything. Um, in terms of personnel anyway, but the issues over goalkeepers, you know, they were bringing players, as I said, back into teams who'd been kind of earlier discarded. It was hard to see um, a very clear roadmap of where they were going to go. Um, and the, the patience of the home support um, obviously started to wear thin. But as well as that, like you're we talking about environment, like last year, the, the, the executive, the county board, yeah. tabled a vote of no confidence. They voted no confidence, but then they were defeated by their own clubs. So if you're talking about creating the right environment, even at county board at administrative level, like the thing is properly fractured. Then you get to the club, club situation. They didn't agree with the county board. Then you get to the situation with the supporters. So, you know, you, you, you really do need everything to be facing in the right direction and the energy of everybody in your county to make the sort of progress the need want to make. And at the moment, that definitely doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, we definitely don't need hindsight to tell us that what happened last October uh, to McEntee, uh, that it might signal that it wouldn't uh, end too well. Philly, what do you make of what Connor just said there? When I've been around different counties and I'm kind of having conversations with people from those counties, you, for some reason, there's always something that pops up around politics around some some particular counties. Um, Mead is definitely one of them. Uh, that I've heard a lot of talk around um, why things are happening the way they are. Um, so the, actually, Kerry is one that I've heard a little bit about as well, in that it's 
and, and Mayo is, a, is another one as well. And and I've always kind of then reflected on Dublin, like, do, do, do we have people going around talking that people are getting in jobs distant? I, I, I just don't hear it. Like, maybe, I, maybe I'm just oblivious to it, but or it's just not there. Like, you know, we've got such a good executive there. The clubs respect that. There's a nice relationship between the county board and the clubs. I don't know if I'm in my own kind of blinkered kind of um, ideology of that, but I do think it's it's uh, it. I don't hear it, but I do hear a lot of other clo- other counties having those troubles politi- politically. Like, um, and me, it constantly pops up when I'm speaking over the years to people. Um, and yeah, like Connor's saying that when you have a vote on no confidence, why would you stay on? Like. Like, you're not really, like, what chances have you got of, like, what, what do you do? You have to win an All-Ireland to prove them wrong. Or maybe a Leinster, you know? So your your probability is quite low. Like, so how do you how do you get the buy-in from, if it's two kind of stakeholders within cl- the clubs being one of them and your county board being the other? Well, then you have to win Leinster. You have to maybe get promoted in the league. Or potentially get further in the the championship in terms of you've done the year before in the All Ireland series, so I think you're mad. If I was McIntyre at that stage, you must need me. If if I'm him, I, I'm thinking I'm going to be doing such a good job that you need me because if you don't need me, it's because either I'm not good enough or politically there's something going on where you're trying to get somebody else in and. If that's the case, then I don't want to be a part of this organisation. That's the way I would be thinking. Um, the fact that the clubs voted them in, like think of the po- politics around that, like the conversations around the clubs that that would have had to happen. The clubs then saying we don't agree with what the county board says. It's just totally a mess, and that feeds definitely down into the players. It, it, it the players are kind of thinking. Anything goes wrong this year, we have a manager that the county board doesn't want. So, like, why would we? It would be much easier to throw the towel in, I would say, as a player, because you you're kind of like, he's not going to be here next year. It's gonna, it's like, you know, if, if we're going to go down to clear and it's put up to us, and it's going to be much easier to kind of not make them runs or not make them tackles than it is to go and fight for your manager because this is probably his last life in terms of what he's going to do with you as as a as um as going forward, you know? Yeah, we'll have to see now who obviously his successor will be. Uh, Conor O'Rourke's name has been uh, thrown around. What would you make of that, Philly? I've always um well there's there's another example of a pundit becoming a manager. And that was Kevin McStay. And I've already mentioned him in the podcast today already. So um, so for me, um, you can get a good understanding of what style of management he'll, he'll have and what tactics he'll have and um, what he thinks of you when you're in, if you're coming up against him, if, he's, if he becomes the manager. Um, so if, unless he's got one way of being a pundit and another way of managing and kind of getting his strategies and frameworks across, it's it'd be very easy to suss out what he's about and what he's going to do, you know? So um, I think, I, I'm not sure if I'm wrong. So you wouldn't want Colm O'Rourke the pundit to be Colm O'Rourke the manager? How do you differentiate that? How do you separate yourself from that? 
you're giving your you're giving your expertise on the game. So and then you're going to go into a change room and try to be what what do you have to do? Like you have to give the same thing, don't you really? Like unless you're only giving fifty percent to one of them, and then you go, oh well, I'm hiding a little bit of information, so I'm going to give it. And I don't know, has he been like I know he's done a bit with club, um, but I don't know, has he has he been exposed to the that level with uh, with the game nowadays? Maybe as a pundit, but not as a not in the change room, and, and that's different. And, and Max Day is an example. Max Day was a pundit, went back to manage Common. And as a player, when I was playing against them, I got a sense that um, they were a bit off it, like, you know, in terms of tactics. I don't know. That's, I'm not saying that's Kevin McStay's fault. I'm just saying um, if I wanted to understand how forwards set up, I'd just go back to the Sunday game and watch Kevin McStay talk about forwards, like, you know, what way is he going to set up? There's one bit of information you can take. And then all the other bits I do in anyway, in terms of watching the forwards, how they play, how they move, that just builds that context around for me. Um, I remember going up to shake his hand after the game in the league in Crow Park and because he played for Ballyman Kickhams at one stage so I remember going up to him after the game and I said uh, Kevin you might want to go back to punditry after that um, and he laughed but then, then he looked back it was like the Henry Shefflin um, uh, Cody handshake he looked back then he, he kind of registered what he, what he said and he looked back at me then and I just said it in a joking way because I just thought I could in terms of him being uh, a Ballymun Kickham's man at, at one stage. And uh, yeah, but look, uh, yeah, I, I just think, um, I just don't, I don't know. I could be totally wrong. O'Rourke, is he, is he still, uh, does he have the expertise to be given this group of lads the information? I would think McEntee had. He would have worked with a lot of Dublin players with Bally Bowden. Got Bally Bowden to the to win an All Ireland. They won an All Ireland that year, didn't they? Against the um, the Mayo team, the Mayo club. But but what I'm saying is, if you bring a manager in and tactically he's not astute to the game now, and the last manager was, well, that's a recipe for disaster. Your players will be like, we're going backwards here. Connor, a just quick word on that. Any other who are the other? Uh... Managers possibly in the running for this. Well, Malachy O'Rourke's name has been touted a lot, and I think mm. part of the reason is just people are um, looking at available managers and who they think would be good. I think Mon and, and Mead, um, just probably comparable kind of levels of talent in the two counties, and to be able to compete at the level that Monan did uh, for seven years that Malachy O'Rourke was there would suggest that he would, you know, have that same effect. But like, you just don't know. Like you don't know what the alchemy is like. You don't know how a dressing room takes you. Um, you know, there's no, I think, hard and fast rules. There's no exact science behind it. The interesting thing about O'Rourke is just because he's such a big and revered figure. I'm sorry, Colm O'Rourke is he's such a big and revered figure in me mm-hmm. that you would imagine what he would do, or maybe the presumption, maybe this is wrong, but is that he'd do kind of a Glen Ryan and you know he'd build a management team of you know three fellow icons and all of a sudden you have the entire county behind you and like a lot of this is about kind of personality and organization too and you know if you bring in a really really good coach if you get somebody in who's you know a top level coach who can really inspire the players to work harder and work better well then you see improvement straight away and you'd imagine somebody like Colm O'Rourke would be very open to taking on um you know other people's opinions when it came to how to set up a team and all the rest of it because um like he did manage at under 21 level me but that was more than 10 years ago and 
you know, he won a couple of major championships with Simon Town, Simon's Town Gales. But I suppose the short answer to, for all of this is that if the Mead County Board are to do their job properly, it's not about getting the homegrown fella and it's not about looking outside the county. They're not factors. The factor now is they have to get the fella who's going to do the job best the next time mm-hmm. around. Um, the person who's most willing to do it. And if that's somebody from Mead, if it's somebody from Monon, if it's somebody from Timbuktu, it shouldn't make any difference whatsoever because, um, you know, I was talking to somebody from me the other night and they were talking about this being a crucial appointment and they're all crucial appointments and you can make that argument all the time. But I think for me, um, you know, you have a couple of players like Kyogen um, and Brian Menton who are kind of 30-31 and if the right appointment wasn't made, you could see that all the energy they poured into it over the last few years, they might not sort of see that it was there again for them. And then you have the at the other end of the age spectrum, you have a lot of those players um Hickey and Jordan Morris and Jack O'Connor and Jason Scully who need somebody, you know, they're only very new at inter-county level and they need somebody to kind of, you know, show them the way now at this stage. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a vital appointment, but for the Mid-County Board, it's just get the best person available. We'll see how that goes. And um, lads, we're just going to move on to uh, Tyrone's defence of their All-Ireland, obviously beaten by our man the first round of the qualifiers last weekend. It was the earliest stage for the All-Ireland champions to be knocked out since the qualifiers were brought in. Philly, where does this rank in terms of the most disappointing defence by an All-Ireland champion? Apart from us, none of them have actually done it back-to-back, right? Um, so why is it so difficult? Um, first of all, the cat's out of the bag, like you're, you're, you're a target on your back. So everybody's aiming towards you and focusing towards you. Um, it's it, it definitely is physically and mentally taxing. Um, and it kind of has that monkey off the back kind of situation, especially like the years of 2011, maybe 2013 for us specifically. But I would say there's a lot of players there in Tyrone who would have maybe unconsciously thought, I have an All Ireland now, and um, I might like. I, I love the analogy of the when is it? When is it? When can you? When's it really good to catch a, a crocodile when he's when he's eating, not when he's not not when he's hungry, because um, he's that he's that dangerous. So you 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 think that with that analogy that Tyrone have been fed a little bit, and I would I would say a lot of then the things that got them over the line last year would have dropped in standards and players then would have seen the environment the, the environment change and we've seen six of them step, then step away. Um, but I still do think, though, they could have revived it by beating uh, Armagh and possibly then kicking on with a game against, say, let's say, Donegal, like, you know. But that all of the things that's happened in the league in the environment post winning the Ireland last year would have been the you would have seen in that game against against Derry, like you know. Um so for me it's it's definitely been that thing of you'll see exactly what has happened in your performance on the day. It's it's not really you lost the game on the day, it's everything that you've done up to that has lost you that that game on the day. So um, the environment is, is not is not right there, and, and I think the two lads um, have a real job on their hands to kind of get put a lot of them fires out for next season. Yeah, Connor, is the truth of this Tyrone tale here not in relation to the players that were there, but those up to seven players that left the panel? I mean, does that not just tell the story of Tyrone this year? 
Yeah, it's it's definitely part of it. I think it's probably the most visible part of it, which is why we're all kind of latching onto it now. Um, you know, like it, it's easy to identify the seven players that are gone, and then to look at Tyrone retain the All Ireland and put and join the dots between the two. But there's probably a bit more going on there besides. Like like they didn't have those seven players when they beat Kerry and Killarney in the league. And I was at that game and. Like I never fancied Tyrone to win this year's championship, but definitely that day you were sitting there going, "Well, like they're not going to fall away. You know, they're going to be as good as they can be." Um, because like they were still bringing on Dara Canavan off the bench and Cahill McShane off the bench the last day. Like they still had a strong panel. Yeah, so make no mistake about it. And the seven players who left, like you go through it, none of those had had a particularly big impact on the team last year anyway. And yet they were able to bring in a couple of the under twenties that won the All Ireland. You know, like that big guy McGain and they came in they never even used Rory Canavan so you know it wasn't for an absence of depth um and like there's different reasons all the time like in 2012 when Dublin didn't win, win the All-Ireland retain it I think Pat Gilroy admitted that he'd spent an awful lot of that year focused on Donegal and took the eye off the ball uh, and Dublin lost to Mayo in that semi-final 2013 when Dublin were defending champions um you know obviously tactically they were there was a coup that day and, and Donegal beat them in that All-Ireland semi-final um, Donegal after winning the All Ireland in 2012, the physical toll that it had taken, um, you could see it. They were blown apart by Mayo in the quarter final. They conceded five goals. So there's loads of different factors that go into it. But um, I, like I don't think you could just isolate the seven players who left the squad and say that was um that was the old, that was the main reason or the only reason because it was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. But you know, mm. the, the 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 two defeats that Tyrone had this year against Derry and against Armagh, they were miles off it, absolutely miles off it. And, you know, those kind of defeats don't come from an absence of squad depth. They come from, you know, something that affects the first team players, the players who are actually out there starting on the day. Okay, well, we've got lads, just a final few minutes left and we'll just go on to the qualifiers. Now, obviously, the team that beat uh, uh, Tron last weekend, Armagh, are playing against Donegal in that all-Ulster game. But look, Philly, you know, after the beating they got by Donegal seven weeks ago, and it was an absolute non-performance by Armagh that day in Ballybuffet. On top of their confidence from that win over Tyrone last week, and surely this is set up for an Armagh win this weekend in Clonus. Whenever you get a, a chance, a second chance at a team, um, I know there's there's some stats out there to say that it's it's um, the, the second time you play the team that has lost will have a better chance of winning. Um, but I just think they have had a, a really good game against Tyrone. Um, they grafted, they 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 held in when they needed to, and then they actually kicked on towards the end. So for me, um, Donegal will obviously feel a bit. I, I'm sure they'll be a bit disappointed after the the Ulster final, but I, I'd set up for a really good game. I would now ask the question of who's hungrier, um, and I just think. Armagh will have a little bit of a momentum shift going into this game that might take them over the line. Um, so, but I do think it's set up; it can go either way. And I think Donegal will be thinking the conversation we had after the the Derry and Donegal final was Derry, Derry, uh, Donegal fell into the into the game plan of what Derry set out to do. Can now Donegal impose their game plan and just go at it and say, "Look, nothing to lose. Just go out and play. Let's let's let's." Be, be solid at the back but let's really counter fast and not have to come out slow and face a, def- a strong uh, solid defence and I think that's going to be important for them because 
Um, I still think there's a couple of kinks in Armagh that need to be better if they're going to beat Donegal. I still don't get why they have O'Neill coming in and out. And maybe that's coming from a Donny kind of tactic, the way he played. He's much more dangerous than Syed. Um, a couple of other Armagh players have stepped up because he's came out, he's went out, which is a good sign as well. But I do think, um, looking at how, how Tyrone went that went that um, Armagh defensively, getting in behind that, that mass defence from the side, um, where they got a couple of shots off. I think that's certainly something that Donegal will look at from McBarity point of view, from Brennan coming in at the sides. Um, and they might look at obviously hitting Morphy a little bit more inside as well. So I think it's going to be a great game. I think both, it's one of those uh, games that they're two heavyweights and at this point in time, they're two heavyweights going at each other. And I do think it's going to be tiff or taff for a lot of the, lot of the, lot of the time of the game. Yeah, you'd imagine too that Reno O'Neill would probably feel he has a lot to prove as well after that game. He really didn't have a good performance in Ballybofay that day. Uh, Connor, briefly, Mayo against Kildare, Crow Park. What are we expecting here? Is this where Mayo stretch their legs? And also, where are Kildare heads at now after that defeat to Dublin? Yeah, it's a fair question. I, I you know, I sort of thought that Mayo were going to be, you know, if that Mayo would beat Monaghan last week, and I think they're to be much better for it. They had six weeks off to get their heads around what happened against Galway, and you could see that, you know, whatever bit of small bit of rustiness they weren't, you know, sitting around feeling sorry for themselves, they're still in shock. You know, whether you can say that about Kildare now, we won't know until they line out at the mm-hmm. end. That that Leinster final was a big shock to Kildare. You could tell by Glenn Ryan's demeanor in the press room afterwards, you know, he was trying to figure out where it all gone wrong and and you know, in as much as you can kind of interpret anything real from how managers present themselves in those situations, he just looked like he got his calculations wrong. Like he, he honestly thought mm-hmm. Kildare were going to go man to man with Dublin and that they would have. So they either massively underestimated Dublin or massively overestimated themselves. But either way, I don't think it puts you in a great frame of mind coming up against a team like Mayo in a, in a big game in Crow Park. And that's that I referenced earlier on, like since 2010, um, Every Leinster champ, every beaten Leinster finalists have lost their subsequent game in the qualifier by Mead in 2019 when they beat Clare. So there's wow. a pattern there, um, and a lot of a lot of it has to do with um, you know, the kind of beatings that Dublin have handed out in Leinster finals and the way teams have recovered. So, you know, there's definitely a trend there to suggest that Kildare might struggle this weekend. I agree, but I do think Mayo have showed a lot of um weaknesses against Monaghan I think they also got away with beating Monaghan in that the Penno in the last the Penno situation and also then this kind of grey area with the foot block and stuff like that right but there's also a couple of things they don't know how to use their sweeper Aidan O'Shea is mostly the sweeper and he's like he's caught in the middle a lot of the time Um, there was an occasion a ball went into the full forward and if you he, he basically Lee Keegan went to go for the ball and missed it, and you could see Keegan giving up, he actually gave up and said, "Do you know what? I, he has the ball now. He's going to score." And if he if that full forward just got the ball, and if that's a a Kerwin or a Flynn, he's turning, he's going straight for the goal. And if you watch that same play, two actually Monaghan players are ahead of that of the defense of the defenders marking and running in at angles. So that would tell you the full back, their, their markers, I don't know if they were full backs, but their, their defenders that were marking them were switched off. So a ball on top of the D into, into a fill-in um, and, and Hoyland and whoever running off them, 
there was goal chances against Mayo. And remember, Mayo only scored three from play in the first half. So if I was Kildare, they're the alarm bells that I'd be going. There's a big opportunity here. Like, But I understand the scarring from the Dublin game. But I do think if, if, if I was Ryan uh, and the management team, I'd be saying, look at all of these areas that we can expose here. And Monaghan, who just didn't have a real good go at it, could have actually won that game considering the, the two in, incidents that was there. So Yeah, so you see real vulnerabilities here for Mayo in this game against Kildare. I see them, but I don't know if Kildare will see them. Um, if Kildare see them, well, maybe Mayo will work on those things as well, but I do see them. I don't think, I wasn't convinced with Mayo's performance versus versus Monaghan. I wasn't convinced, you know, that they would go and they will hammer uh, Kildare this weekend. And that could possibly happen, but I still see there's gaps there. And just finally, Connor, what what do we think in clear against Roscommon and Cork against Limerick? Who do you think is going to come out there? Uh, well, I, like I was at the Clare game against Mead last weekend and... Um, yeah. You know, there's something about Clare. They're a very comfortable team when they run the ball. They're particularly comfortable in Ennis. Um, and I was actually at the Clare-Roscommon game earlier in the league. It was in the high park. It was a draw. And um, it was one of those days where you couldn't talk about the match without referencing the wind because it was so extreme. But Clare, as they were at the same at the weekend, they actually play better against the wind in those situations because they're such a good right. running game. Like they're a team, you know exactly what you're going to get from them. They're very good at what they do. They break very quickly. Um, but last week against Mead, early in the second half, Leclerc were seven points ahead at one stage, and then they had six wides just after the start of the second half. Um, and it was almost like with the wind, they thought they could shoot from all over the place. Um, and Mead got it back. They actually went a point up. Now, it was credit to Claire and the closeness. And, the you know, you could tell they just... They have that kind of collective confidence to go and see out a tight game. We're just wondering, Crow Park, it might not suit them to the same degree. Um, not that it won't suit them. I think it might just suit Roscommon to the same degree because Roscommon have a better spread of forwards. You know, I think Roscommon have a good spread of forwards as nearly any team in the country. So um, that one would be much closer than I think a lot of people would give it credit for. But Roscommon will come through that one. And look, you just imagine that Cork will win at the weekend. Limerick played the game really they tried to play the game their own way against Kerry um, and the number of times that they were opened up just gaps and overlaps and everything else and defenders chasing back on their own goal. Had Kerry really wanted to, I think they could have drilled a couple of nails in and scored a couple more goals. So, yeah, like I think if, if you're to take how the two teams performed against Kerry as being a gauge, uh, Cork looked to be uh, a fair bit better than them. Okay, Connor Philly, thanks for that. Well, that's it from us on this week's throw in with Philly McMahon. Don't forget to join Will and Michael on Monday's show as they look back on all the weekend's action. You can listen, rate, and follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And we'll be back again next week. This is an Irish independent podcast.